0: morning Church good Good to see everybody I've been listening to a book on audible titled God smuggler I'd highly recommend it maybe you've already read it it has sold over 10 million copies translated into 35 languages it's the story of a man followed who followed God on a great adventure would you like some adventure in your life? There's no greater adventure than following Jesus. And this book celebrates the life of Andrew, and I'm, I'm going to get the last name wrong, I'm sure, Vanderbidge. In fact, it's hard to find his last name uh, in print because he, uh, he's often referred to affectionately as Brother Andrew, a Dutch missionary sent by God to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. In the 1950s, at the height of the Cold War, when communist nations were locked down and they were locking out faith, Brother Andrew began taking life, taking these great risks at personal, of personal safety to carry God's word into communist countries. Traveling all over Eastern Europe in his little VW Bug, Andrew braved one harrowing situation after another. On one occasion... At the Romanian border his car was packed once again with Bibles which were illegal to carry into Romania and for which he might be imprisoned if caught. And he could only hope that the border guards would not see the cargo that he was carrying. Can you imagine the situation? As he slowly neared the front of this long line of cars waiting at the border crossing, he saw that the guards were asking the owner of each vehicle to empty the car's contents, spread them out on the ground. So this is going on in front of him as he's uh, coming closer to the border crossing. Every car was receiving the same level of scrutiny. Andrew watched as the guard took a full hour to sift through the contents of the car in front of him, even removing hubcaps, taking parts of the engine out, removing the seats of the car in front of him. Dear Lord, he prayed, what am I going to do? My car's full of these illegal Bibles. As he prays, though, he gets this bold idea. It occurred to him that no amount of cleverness on his part was going to get him across the border safely. So he, he starts to pray, and this idea comes to him. Instead of trying to hide the Bibles, he would take some of them out and put them on the seat next to him. As if in a way to say, well, the Lord will have to do this. He reasoned that he had nothing to fear with God on his side, and he thought that putting them out on the seat beside him would be a statement of faith in God's power to deliver. Could you use some adventure in your life? When the guards motioned Andrew's car forward, he handed the guard his papers through the window, had rolled the window down. Remember when you had to roll windows down? Rolled the window down, put the papers through the window. And then he reached for the handle, thinking, well, I'll need to get out of the car. Everybody's had to get out of the car. And he noticed the guard's knee is against the door, so he can't get it open. And then the unbelievable happened. The guard looks at Andrew's passport, abruptly waves him on. Not 30 seconds had passed. He thought to himself, was that all that was going to be required? He started the engine. He began pulling away, all the while wondering if, this was, if he was actually supposed to pull forward. He was thinking, well, I, they're wanting me to pull forward, and they're going to search me even more thoroughly. He says, I coasted forward, my foot poised over the brake, nothing happened, no one's following me. I looked in the rear view, the guard was waving at the next car to come forward. That was all there was going to be to it. Nothing was going to happen. God cleared the way for Brother Andrew time and time again to smuggle Bibles to Christians who had no access to God's word behind the communist Iron Curtain. Country after country he experienced these types of miracles. So common were these types of difficult situations. He had a prayer that he prayed. Lord, in my luggage I have scripture that I want to take to your children. When you were here on earth, you made the blind eyes see. Now I pray you make seeing eyes blind. Don't let the guards see those things. You don't want them to see. Millions of Bibles. Millions of Bibles. I was just finishing up the book this weekend as I was mowing my lawn, and there was an order, the the last order for Bibles uh, that I remember was for $7 million in printing costs to get them into China. That's a great adventure. And if Brother Andrew talked with each of us, he's still alive at the age of 94, according to Wikipedia. He would likely, if he were to talk to each of us, encourage us. He would say, the Bible's full of ordinary people who went to impossible places to do wondrous things simply because they decided to follow Jesus. Ordinary people going to impossible places and doing wondrous things because they followed Jesus. We have several from our congregation, 29 men and women who grew up here at GBC, sat right where you're sitting this morning, living a great adventure of following Christ as they were sent out. They answered the call of God to do extraordinary things as very ordinary folks. I'd encourage you to visit the Sending Partners page on our website, get to know these men and women. Not that we are all called to sneak Bibles into close countries, or even to risk our lives. That's not the call, but certainly to give our lives. Certainly some of us are called to the type of work where we take great risks of even personal harm and putting ourselves in danger's way. Some are, but all are called to go. My point is that all are sent to share the gospel. You'll leave the building this morning and if you're following Christ, you'll follow him to share the gospel. That's where he's leading us. We're all called to go. We're all called to live the great adventure of sharing the gospel with friends and neighbors and coworkers and fellow students at our schools. In fact, I wanna speak for a moment directly to those who might be younger. Most of them are in second service, but elementary age, teenagers. There is an adventure available through obedience to Jesus that is greater and more deeply satisfying than anything the world is offering to our teenagers and our young children. Following Jesus wholeheartedly and obediently going to share the gospel with friends, family, whether sent across the classroom or across the globe, is better than all the self Seeking self-indulgent experiences in the world combined. I'll ask for an amen there. Amen. Yeah. That's a good message for our young people and for those that have more wisdom as well, more years. A young man named James Hudson Taylor understood the commission to pursue the lost. The year was 1853, he was 21. My youngest is 20. He was 21 when he left home. He left his family in England. He sailed around the world to a foreign nation and a people unknown to him. Not unknown to God, unknown to him. He arrived, he shaved his head bald except for a single patch on the back of his head that he wore in a long ponytail fitting with the culture he wanted to share the gospel with. He lived among those with whom he was wanting to share the gospel. He wore their their clothes, he ate their food, he spoke their language, he read their books, studied their history and philosophy, and all this despite a long-standing rejection of the message he was offering them. To make matters worse, many Christians criticized him for his methods, the clothes, the haircut, the food, the entering into their culture, what he believed was Christ-like pursuit of the lost, others labeled as accommodating to sin. Consequently, he lived a lonely and discouraged life, rejected by those many times who he wanted to share the faith with, as well as criticized harshly by other Christians, He persevered for more than 50 years, establishing the China Inland Mission, which today is credited with bringing hundreds of thousands to faith in Christ. The spiritual descendants of Hudson Taylor would have been many of the folks that Brother Andrew took Bibles to later on. That's a powerful thought. Hudson Taylor is thought to have led about 35,000 people to Christ through the power of God, personal witness himself. Whether we travel across the world or across the street, disciples are a people sent out. Whether we go to visit our neighbors or our nation across the ocean, a co-worker, whoever we're called to, family member, maybe it'll be somebody you visit on vacation this summer, we are sent we have a message that we carry with us of God's goodness towards us in Christ. We're in the final week of a series titled Helping People Follow Jesus. In this series, we focused on the four activities of a disciple-making church. They're on the perimeter of the target on the screen, proclaiming the gospel, restoring the broken, equipping believers, and then sending out disciples with the good news of God's love for us. This is our focus as a church, and if you missed any of the series, I'd encourage you to go back, listen uh, to the previous sermons if you missed it, so that you'll be up to speed on what what we're trying to accomplish here. We're trying to spur each other on to help one another follow after Jesus. Or you could pick up the little book titled Following Jesus. It's in the Welcome Center. Everybody's welcome to a copy. This book outlines our disciple-making philosophy of ministry, our heart to proclaim, restore, equip, and send. And then each of the attributes that go along with that, the, the character qualities that we're trying to cultivate in each other's life as followers of Christ. I encourage you to read this book. Jesus said just before his ascension, All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Our next baptism service will be August 21 at worship in the park. If you've not been baptized, we'd encourage you to consider that. It's commanded here by Christ. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God's people are to go. Go and make disciples. We're to go to all the nations. This verse is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Dallas Willard, a, a, um, an influencer in my life, he's passed away, he was a University of Southern California Berkeley philosophy teacher, but his real passion was growing disciples. And he had a book he wrote titled The Great Omission. A play on words here. The commission is go and make disciples, and Willard said this is the thing that the church actually isn't getting done. We are people sent out. 21 centuries later, following Jesus means leaving this building today and sharing the good news of the gospel, showing it and sharing it. The good news of God's love towards us. Now you might be thinking that uh, you could never do what Brother Andrew did. And you're absolutely right. If you're thinking it's up to you to live with great courage. If you're thinking that the courage needed to do these, these um, to live this great adventure of going is something that you muster up inside you, well, Brother Andrew would remind you, no, it's not something that he even mustered up with inside, inside him, it's something the Holy Spirit gives us. You know, this longing to live with courage and live with adventure and to follow wherever he leads. Not even Brother Andrew did what he did on his own. He did what he did as a follower of Jesus. We do what we do as followers of Jesus only by the Spirit's power. In fact, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, we're directed as followers of Christ to pray for laborers in the harvest field. The first step in going, we did it this morning, is to pray. The first step in evangelism is not to open our mouth to those that need to hear the gospel, but to open our mouth to God, Lord, make me a witness. Lord, give me courage. I want to live with the great adventure. I don't wanna get caught up in the cultural flow that's pulling us to self-interest and self-indulgence. I wanna live the great adventure that's the first step in evangelism. There's a telling moment in the first few verses of the book of Acts. So Christ has ascended, he says go, Um, and the disciples are waiting for a promised gift. It's a moment in which we get a glimpse of the disciples hearts and minds. Just days before Pentecost all the disciples had wrongly assumed that the Messiah was going to be a political hero. Rescuing Israel from Roman oppression. Upon hearing the Holy Spirit was coming, they naturally assumed that Jesus was going to somehow use the Holy Spirit to mobilize Israel to take back the promised land. They were mistaken. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father set by his own authority. Jesus is talking to disciples. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria to the ends of the earth to live the great adventure that we're called upon as disciples to go and find the courage to do so isn't something that we muster up within ourselves it's it's something god works in us through his holy spirit means the first activity is prayer father i Perhaps it's a prayer of confession. I'm not living with courage. I'm not on the great adventure. I'm building my own kingdom. (laughs) I'm caught up in self-indulgent, self-interested activities in this world. Help me live the great adventure of following your son. Help me live with the courage and the, the conviction to share the gospel. Instead of political ends, Jesus says the power of the Holy Spirit's meant to enable us for something very particular, to be his witnesses. You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Folks, if we're not living as witnesses, we must ask ourselves, how much of the Holy Spirit is influenced in our lives? Is the Holy Spirit really leading us, empowering us? Are we in step with the Spirit? Are we filled with the Spirit? To use New Testament terminology, to stay, Paul said, stay in step with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If we're not witnesses, then is the Holy Spirit really at work in our lives, leading us? The primary purpose of the Spirit's transforming work in our lives is not simply for our benefit, So that we can see good things happen in our lives, so that our kingdom grows and is more prosperous. The primary purpose of the Spirit's transforming work in our lives is so that Jesus can be seen more clearly. So that we can reflect his character, conduct, and concerns in our lives. God changes the hearts and the minds of men and women so that the world can see the power of the gospel lived out. Brother Andrew tells of his own conversion story. It's a fascinating conversion story. It's on the front end of the book, God's Smuggler. He basically goes to sleep resisting God and wakes up the next morning with an appetite for scripture that is unquenchable. He can't explain the transformation but that he's been born again. He was at a, um, a revival meeting, um, It was the late 1940s, early 1950s. I forget the date exactly. He's dragged away. Frankly, a pretty girl invites him, and that's why he goes. And he's stunned that he's moved by the service. And he wakes up the next morning completely radically changed. God changes us for our good. Make no mistake. He changes us for his glory. Once the Spirit comes upon believers in Acts 2, their posture is uniquely and dramatically changed. They're no longer concerned about building a political kingdom or even their own kingdoms, but they see the great adventure ahead of spreading the gospel as the primary mission that they're to be on, and they sacrifice everything for that purpose. Men and women whose hearts were previously full of doubt whose minds were previously filled only with self-interest, self-preservation. Think of the, the eve of Christ's crucifixion. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. They're debating who's the greatest. Who's the greatest of Jesus' followers? People that were disciples once filled with self-interest are moved to self-sacrifice Unfortunately, many approach faith with selfish motives, believing that the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is is a type of divine self-help system. This is only an extension of the narcissism that's so prevalent in our culture. And inasmuch as we believe that we are an end in ourselves, we'll never know the deep fulfillment of living for Christ. It's true, the Spirit's at work in our lives to grow us and strengthen us. That is true. But we're not an end in ourselves. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us collectively. It's about Christ and Him lifted up. The transforming work of the Spirit in our lives is a means to a greater end, thank goodness, than any one of us. The greater end is the spreading of God's glory transforming power. No matter where you are in your faith journey, God offers you the Holy Spirit this morning and invites you, invites you to follow after the Spirit's lead in your life to be a part of the spread of the gospel. You know, Jesus described our Heavenly Father as seeking the lost, John chapter 4. Even this morning, if you're here this morning and you'd not describe yourself as a follower of Christ, your is looking for you, he wants to draw you to Himself. John chapter 4, we learn the Father is looking for worshipers. Throughout history, God has enlisted others in that work. In the Old Testament, God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites from bondage, He sent prophets to turn Israel back. To himself in the new testament god sent his son obviously his son sent the first 12 on short-term trips then he sent 72 out on a short-term short term short term trip at the end of his ministry jesus commissioned all of his followers to go god sent his son and his son sent his followers God has always pursued sinners. Think of the Garden of Eden, just three chapters deep into the Bible. Just the third chapter in the Bible, God comes looking for sinners. They hid from him. Perhaps this morning you have a posture of hiding from God. That's wasted effort. (laughs) Can't hide from our Creator. Adam and Eve hid from him, but he came looking for them. Later he pursued Abram, then changed his name to Abraham. Abram was a contented idolater. God calls to him, changes his name, changes his character, gives gives him a new hope and a new future, offers him a covenant relationship as well as covenant blessings, land, descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. We are part, any who are trusting in Christ, of that lineage based on faith, Abraham's descendants reject the covenant at several occasions. God continues to pursue them. In fact, the biblical picture offered for God's pursuing sinners is a husband pursuing a wayward wife. It's a beautiful image of sacrificial love. The Apostle Paul wrote that while we're trapped in our sinfulness, Christ died for us. When we were thumbing our nose at him, no interest in him, he sent his son for us. It's only by God's pursuit that anyone is saved. But he has called his people to participate in the pursuit of the lost. We're commissioned to go out. So when the church sends out disciples, we look at the sending quadrant here. We send them out to do two things primarily, love others selflessly and pursue the lost intentionally. Loving others selflessly is the attribute of compassion, giving away our resources, sharing our wealth with others, showing the love of God through empathy and compassion towards others. Pursuing the lost intentionally is making a verbal witness. Now, it's not one or the other. It's not simply showing the love of Christ in sacrificial service and never opening your mouth. That's not a a full-bodied gospel presentation. Yes, Christ fed the 5,000, but he taught them about the kingdom of God. And it's not simply presenting the gospel message and paying no attention to people's needs, tangible needs. Yes, he taught them on the kingdom of God, and he fed the 5,000. It's a both. Full-throated gospel is to show through tangible sharing of resources the love of God and to open our mouths and share a verbal witness. So we'll send teams out this summer. Uh, in, in the days ahead, we have a, a, a trip scheduled for Germany, this summer, and then we're working on a trip to the DR as well. we'll talked to John Foster about that, where we want to meet tangible needs and we want to talk about Jesus. Our care center, month after month, is that full-throated demonstration of the gospel, showing and sharing. Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you love each other. My command is this, Christ said, love each other as I have loved you. We're to give our lives away through acts of compassionate service just as God has served us by giving his life away. God's love for us draws us. There's nothing more convincing than self-sacrifice. Self-seeking lifestyles, they're repulsive. Self-sacrificing lifestyles are alluring. Brother Andrew's life risking personal harm time and time again the believers that couldn't find a copy of the scripture just his presence coming into these little villages with copies of god's word and the risk he took to get there was convincing to people hudson taylor's 50 years in one location trying to make inroads to the gospel and suffering as a result convincing how is, the diff- How is the church different than the park district? How is the church different than the school district? How is the church different than the federal government? The church is different from every other organization in that we offer the gospel in word and deed. We're compassionate. Yes, as many community organizations are compassionate. But the compassion we show is not a result of our moral fortitude. It's not rooted primarily in a hope that with enough hard work, we'll change the world. That's not why we operate the care center. But rather, our compassion is a result of God's work of grace in our lives, and it's rooted in a belief that God is fixing all things in time through his people. Gordon MacDonald, a beloved pastor of many decades, once summed it up, this way one of my favorite quotes about the church the world can do almost anything as well as or better than the church you need not be a Christian to build houses feed the hungry or heal the sick there's only one thing the world cannot do it cannot offer God's grace the grace of Christ the grace shown towards us in Christ is the unique and sole message of the church And we are sent out. We're sent out to do a couple things. We're sent out to pray. Lord, use me. Lord, mobilize more people into the harvest field, Luke 10, 2. Lord, soften hearts. You'll, I don't know, maybe you'll. So I want (laughs) uh, I'm not sure what you'll think of this. And it's not my notes, so I've got everybody attentive right now. I can tell. I was selling something on Facebook Marketplace and somebody couldn't get there to pick it up when they said they'd be there, and this had happened two or three times, something had come up, and uh, the most recent excuse given was, well, my daughter was sick, up all night, throwing up, and uh, so I won't be able to make it today. And I thought, well, I love praying, I think I'll just offer this mom a prayer, and so on Facebook Marketplace, right, instant messenger, I say, hey, no problem, so sorry you're up all night, let me pray for you, and then I start typing out a prayer. I love, I'll type my kids prayers, I'll text them prayers, I love to email prayers, and so I type this lady a prayer, and then there's this long silence between there and the next message. So I'm not sure what she thought of it. She finally got back to me, thanks so much for the prayer. I want to live the great adventure How easy it would be to say no problem and never offer but where are we taking risks socially and culturally where are we stepping out and making it a little awkward so we're called to pray first and foremost secondly we're called to give our time and our money to the effort I'm super encouraged by this church overall. We have grown in the grace of giving, to, to use Paul's terminology. Just this spring, in three weeks' time, we raised $35,000 to send 135 of our students on short-term trips this summer. $35,000 in three weeks' time. I'm super encouraged. That is exactly what it means not to build our kingdom but to work to build his kingdom. We are to give our money away to this effort. We're to fund the advance of the gospel. And so when you give to the church, and this shouldn't be the only organism you're giving to, the church is an organism, it's a living, breathing thing. Then there are organizations, parachurch organizations, that we should also be supporting. But when you give to this organism, this local church, expression of Christ's life, hands and feet of Christ, then some of the money you give goes to support our missionaries that are spread out all over the globe doing God's good work. Some of the money you give is, goes towards supporting the care center, the monthly effort to give a tangible witness to the gospel for people who aren't a part of our congregation yet. Then we're called to go ourselves. Hopefully you've gotten that message loud and clear. You're, you're to go across the street, across the office, across the school, wherever your sphere of influence is. You're to make, take risks, live the adventure, open your mouth, show compassion. And maybe you've never been on a short-term trip. Speak with John Foster. We'd love to get you signed up for that. Where to go. We're also to take risks as a congregation. The application isn't simply individual, but it's a collective application. I, one comes to mind, one application is the multi-site vision. For, uh, it's been a, over a year now, we talked about our desire to launch a second campus uh, somewhere in the county here. Uh, we did that last April, or last May, can't re- April, I'm getting my dates. It's been about a year, <laughs> but we want to see. And so it's this collective effort to make inroads into the community, to carry the gospel, uh, and to establish an outpost, as it were, another church functioning. And and so collectively we can do that. And I want to invite you next Sunday night uh, to to the spring gathering. It's what we call our congregational meeting, which we hold twice a year. So it's next Sunday evening, May, what would that be, 22nd? At 4 o'clock, we'll gather right back in this room for the spring gathering, and we're going to talk. The lion's share of the time will be about the multi-site vision. I'd love to have you back out to that, and uh, you'll hear from the elders about how we can collectively pray, give, and go. Would you bow your heads with me, and I'll close us in prayer. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds so that we would move away from self-indulgence and self-interest and that we would live the great adventure. We would live on mission and that the commission would no longer be an omission, but we would go and we would see more men and women born again Convinced of the gospel by your people living it out day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.